Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, a presentation of Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades, culminated his ministry with a 21-year book-by-book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called Life Study. This Life Study is the basis for our program today and includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's program. The Apostle Peter encouraged his fellow believers in Christ to suffer for righteousness by the will of God as Christ did. Stay with us today for the next half hour as we have some wonderful pictures of how we can sanctify Christ in our heart through suffering and also what happened when Christ's spirit was made alive in his death. This is Matt Miller and Ron Kangas has joined me. Ron, I'm glad you could be here for this particular program today. I'm also thankful for the opportunity to fellowship from this portion in the very heart of 1 Peter chapter 3. And the focal point may be quite surprising. Uh, There are some matters hard to understand, such as Christ's preaching to the spirits in prison and being enlivened in the spirit while he was on the cross But the central matter is Christ in his death, resurrection, and ascension. Always Christ in his person and work is the center. And in light of the Lord and his redemptive work, and with this as the focus, then we can consider uh, various details in this chapter. And you're prepared, I know, to kind of guide us through from subject to subject. So by the Lord's mercy and grace, I'm ready to flow with you, Matt. So let's see what you have next for us to consider. Ron, I think that's a good introduction, and I think probably with that much introduction, we can even go to Witness Lee a little earlier than normal. This is really a packed program, Ron, so with all the ground we have to cover, let's get right to it. 1 Peter 3, verse 14 and 15a says, But even if you suffer because of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not be afraid with fear from them, nor be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. We often say that a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, Witness Lee is going to give us one of those pictures as he recounts a young Christian woman's suffering in China more than a hundred years ago. Here's Witness Lee. We should sanctify Christ as Lord. This is a word not so common. The word sanctify in Greek means to set apart, to separate one thing from the common things. This means to make this one thing very particular, very magnificent, and so forth. So, in our suffering of the persecutions, we should make Christ particular. We should make Christ so magnificent. I mentioned to you one short story that was during the Boxer time, 1900, in China. It happened in the old capital, Peking. 
a young learner of business dare not open up the door. The parading was going on by the boxers, and he heard the shoutings, the threatening shoutings. He just looked through a little crack of the、uh, door. He saw the boxers marching, parading on the street, shouting, threatening, with a young girl who was a Christian, carried to the place where she would be martyred. She saw this situation, and、uh, so many boxers around her, shouting, crying, threatening her, and she was altogether not afraid. Rather, her face was really glowing. And she was praising, she was rejoicing. So that impressed this unbelieving young businessman. After he saw that, he said, "I must spend some time to find out what is Christianity. How come such young girl got called and brought to be martyred?" Threatening, shouting, and so forth. She was altogether not threatened, and her face was glowing, and she was rejoicing. Okay, and he believed, and he became a preacher. I met him in my hometown, and we had a good conversation. I found out the story. I tell you, that kind of glowing, that kind of boldness. You see, rejoicing, praising—that is a show that the Lord was within her heart, and that spontaneously what sanctified Christ as the Lord. At least that influenced or caught one person. This is the meaning. When you are under persecution, you must sanctify the Lord. Ron, I really like this picture of what it means to sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts. What Satan meant for evil with this young woman, God really turned out to His glory through her sanctifying Him in her heart. And one key is seen in First、uh, Peter three fourteen. It says, "Do not be afraid with fear from them, nor be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts." If this precious young sister had been full of fear and troubled, crying, there would have been no testimony, no indication that Christ was living in her heart, and that He was separate, distinct from all other so-called gods. So, to sanctify Him in a context of persecution is to be one with Him. To live him, to express him, this is an inward matter in our heart. Instead of being fearful and troubled, we would be exercised in our spirit and in our heart to testify that we have Christ living in us, and Christ living in us is unique. There is no one like him in the whole universe. And that we express Him and magnify Him—a、uh, wonderful, real-life illustration of Peter's word. But don't be afraid, don't be troubled. But 
sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. What is the Lord? Who is the Lord? Not the persecution, not the opposers, not even death itself. Jesus Christ is Lord, not only objectively on the throne in the heavens, he is Lord and sanctified as Lord in our hearts. What a testimony. What an expression of the indwelling Christ. And what a glory to this indwelling Christ. I'm sure she had no idea there was a shopkeeper looking behind a crack in the window there to see what was going on, but it forever influenced his whole life just by the fact that at that moment she didn't fear, but she sanctified Christ as the Lord in her heart. And he saw the Lord expressed, although he did not understand it at the time. Eventually he heard the gospel, he believed, and became one endeavoring to serve the Lord. Thank the Lord for such a testimony and such an illustration from real life of a martyred, overcoming saint, a young sister who sanctified Christ as Lord in her heart. Ron, this is a really uh, touching point, and it's hard to go on because I feel like there's so much there. You could almost do the whole radio program on this, but let's go on to verse 16. Yet with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, so that in the matter in which you are spoken against, those who revile your good manner of life in Christ may be put to shame. Here's Witness Lee. Verse 16 says, Having a good conscience, that wherein you are spoken against as evildoers, those who revile your good manner of life. If we live a good manner of life, if we do sanctify the Lord in our daily life, we must take care of our conscience. We must be okayed by our own conscience. Don't say, well, I'm justified by the community. I'm justified by all the brothers. I'm justified even by the entire church. That is not adequate. Because no one knows you so well, so thoroughly as your own conscience. And this conscience judgment is accurate. No one's judgment is so thorough, so keen, so accurate as your enlightened conscience of your regenerated spirit. Its judgment is always thorough and accurate. We must take care of this. Apparently, you have never been wrong with your wife, in the eyes of man, but in the eyes of your conscience. Aha! It is another story. Your conscience tells you, in many aspects, even in many instances, you have not been honest. Apparently, you are an honest, faithful brother, but your conscience knows that in some of the things, you have been not so honest and faithful. So we must take care of our conscience. Ron, I'm going to let you comment in a minute here on taking care of our conscience. Before you do, I just wanted to say a big amen to Witness Lee's word that there's nothing so thorough or keen or accurate as the enlightened conscience of our regenerated spirit. The reason for that is our conscience is part of our God-created human spirit. Before our spirit was regenerated, 
our spirit was in a deadened, or we may say comatose, condition. And as a result, the function of the conscience was drastically weakened. But after our spirit was regenerated, our spirit with a conscience is in a wonderfully, marvelously different condition. Proverbs twenty twenty seven says, The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. When we were regenerated, the spirit as the oil came into our lamp. Now our lamp is shining, including the bright shining of the conscience. So it's not the conscience itself as a God-created part of our spirit that has the accurate judgment. It's the conscience in the regenerated spirit, a spirit indwelt by the Spirit of God himself. And the divine spirit, the Holy Spirit, has been mingled with our regenerated spirit, and now our spirit is functioning as a lamp. And so the conscience, especially as we deal with it and obey it and pay attention to it, will become very keen in rendering its judgment uh, inwardly. If we have failed, if we have sinned, the conscience will condemn us. If we are one with the Lord, if we are obeying him and living him, the conscience will approve us. And the important connection here with the previous portion about sanctifying Christ in our hearts is that the conscience, which is part of the spirit, is also part of the heart, which is a composition of of the soul with the mind, will, and emotion, plus the conscience portion of the spirit. So to sanctify the Lord in our hearts requires that we have a good conscience, a conscience without offense. So others are accusing us falsely, they're lying, they're condemning, but our conscience rises up to testify. That isn't the case. You are one with the Lord. You are living the Lord. You are expressing the Lord. This gives us the basis inwardly to sanctify the Lord in our hearts. The progression of thought here is very significant, and the understanding of these verses in the light of the proper, genuine, normal spiritual experience of life is necessary and crucial. I appreciate the grace with our brother Lee to be able to just usher us into the proper understanding of these verses in the way of life. I also appreciate that. And again, we've touched a point that could probably deserve its own radio program, this matter of having a good conscience and as part of our regenerated spirit. Yet we've got another part of the program to go on to, and it's in verse 19. And Let me read the verses, starting at verse 18 through 20. For Christ also has suffered once for sins, the righteous on behalf of the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God, on the one hand being put to death in the flesh, but on the other made alive in the Spirit, in which also he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison who had formerly disobeyed when the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. 
Let's go to Witness Lee and allow the Lord to shine his light on these verses from 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse 19, Also having gone to the spirits in prison, he proclaimed to those, not those men, in Greek, there's no man, to those, that means to those spirits in prison. Who are the spirits? The debate has never been stopped. Throughout centuries, great teachers of different schools have had varying interpretations concerning the spirit in prison. These imprisoned spirits are the angels who fell through disobedience. At last time, the so-called sins of God, the angels, coming down to the earth using man's body to commit fornication with man's daughters. And then they produced giants. So that polluted the human race because the human race was polluted by Satan's angels committing fornication with man, making man's blood altogether polluted. So God could not tolerate that. God terminated the entire race. You have to study carefully in the study. Mr. Pemberton, all these, Mr. Gavide, Dan Penton, all these Bible scholars, they, after much study, agree with this. We are not the only one to teach this. This is the proper interpretation of these kind of verses in the Bible. So, hallelujah. Christ died on the cross for all redemption. But in that death, something happened. Well, he was killed in his body, yet he was alive. He was empowered in his spirit, even before resurrection. So in that enlivened and empowered spirit, before his resurrection, he went to proclaim to the rebellious angels God's victory over the leader. Here, Peter gives us a clear word to unveil to us something of Christ's death. Christ's death not only accomplished redemption for us, but also accomplished the proclamation of God's victory in Christ's incarnation and crucifixion over Satan. Christ did this, proclaimed this victory to Satan's followers. It's quite meaningful. This is really uh, quite a story, and, and we really can't cover it in the short time we have, but with the little time we have, I'd ask you to do the best you can. And I think it's best not to discuss the alternate interpretations. Let us just emphasize the central point as we have come to understand it. When the Lord Jesus was dying a redemptive death on the cross, he was put to death in the flesh. But he was made alive in the spirit of his divinity. That part of him, the spirit as the spirit of his divinity, was enlivened while he was dying in the flesh. Then in the spirit as the spirit of his divinity, after he died, he went deep into Hades to a certain section where a particular group 
of evil, rebellious angels were imprisoned. And these are the spirits mentioned by Peter here. They're not the spirits of human beings. They're the spirits, since angels are spirits, of certain angels who followed Satan in rebellion. And these were the angels that joined the daughters of men to produce giants and were judged and condemned by God at the time of Noah. The Lord Jesus went to their place of imprisonment and proclaimed not the gospel, but proclaimed his victory over their leader. This is indicated by the Greek word used. The Greek word is keruso, meaning to make a proclamation. If the intent of the writer had been to talk about gospel preaching, the Greek word euangelizo would have been used. So the Lord was not preaching the gospel to the spirits of dead people, giving them another chance to believe. He was actually not preaching the gospel at all, but he was proclaiming his victory over the leader of these evil angels, these spirits in prison. We don't know exactly what he said, but we believe, at least in principle, he declared that on the cross he destroyed the devil who had the might of death. He destroyed, he judged, he condemned their leader, and he was proclaiming his victory over them. And then we know from other scriptures, such as Revelation 1.18, that the Lord in his resurrection walked out of Hades with the keys, the authority over death and Hades. As I am kind of reviewing this in my spirit, with my being renewed mind, I just have a fresh assurance that this is the correct interpretation of this exceedingly difficult passage. Praise the Lord for his redemptive death, for his victory on the cross, for his proclamation to the spirits in prison, for his glorious life-dispensing resurrection and his marvelous, glorious ascension. Surely, everything has been done. The righteous died on behalf of the unrighteous, destroying the enemy of God, so that we, who were unrighteous and sinners, may be forgiven, justified, cleansed, reconciled to God, and brought to God, and brought into God. What a wonderful picture we have here. As we mentioned in the beginning, we can echo now at the end. The center of this passage is really not our heart. It's not our conscience. It's not the spirits in prison. The center of this passage is none other than Jesus Christ himself in his person and his redemptive work. Praise him. May we always sanctify him in our hearts, exercising ourselves to have a good conscience, a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. Praise the Lord for the ministry that under the Lord's grace and with the light from the scriptures can open to us the word of God. And I don't want to 
trespass into your announcer territory, but I would just like to remind our listeners, all that we have shared is based upon a careful, thorough, solid study of the scriptures and an honest and fair and unbiased examination of the teachings of the servants of God throughout the ages. We have compared them. We have made a decision in the Lord's presence. We commend this opening and this interpretation of this portion of the Word of God to our seeking brothers and sisters in Christ everywhere. And we've made them available for free on the Internet. If you have an Internet connection at lsm.org, you can get to all the links from there. That's our main website, www.lsm.org. Or you can call us at 1-888-543-3788. That's 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. Or you can send us an email to radio at lsm.org. Ron, I appreciate you coming in today. I feel like the Lord's presence was really with us today. Amen. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Did you know that you can now enjoy the writings of Witness Lee and Watchman Nee on your PC or Mac, tablet, e-reader, or smartphone? Just go to lsm.org slash ePublications to find out more. Again, that's lsm.org slash ePublications. And thanks for listening today.